Pull up a stool and pour yourself a pint as you're about to join three intrepid drinkers, Kevin, Justin, and Mark, as they embark on another beer-tastic voyage. Ahoy, voyagers. Just a quick programming note. This is part one of a two-part episode that we did, so subscribe now so you don't miss out on part two next week. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beer-tastic Voyage. My name's Kevin. I'm Mark. And I'm Justin. And today we are live from Brickhouse Brewery interviewing... Head brewer Paul Comsick. How's it going, everyone? We're doing fantastic, Paul. Um, we're upstairs in one of the smaller individual dining rooms, and uh, I've never been in this room in particular. But Mark, I think you had an event in the other room, right? Yeah, my my daughter's baptism party was held in the the other larger room up here. That was a particularly fun party. I, I like the fact that we got to walk from a church to a bar. That was that was a lot of fun for me. <laughs> yeah, all my family really seemed to have enjoyed themselves to it as well. It was uh, definitely a good day. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Our well, servers kill it for sure. Yeah, no, it, w- it absolutely was a great time. I know I re- recall really enjoying myself and definitely really enjoying the beer that you guys make here, which is what brings us here. So um, I want to get us started with just a little bit of history of what you do, uh, Paul. How did you get into brewing? Like, Do you have a formal brewing education? How did um, you get into this actually, game? Actually, I, I don't have a formal brewing education. Uh, I read Sam Calgione's book, uh, Extreme Brewing, and there was a line in there that he said, um, if you can make soup, you can make beer. And I was like, I got this. And uh, you know, started learning and reali- quickly realized that uh, it wasn't that easy, but I really enjoyed it. And um, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, I, I was managing managing a deli for about ten years, doing a lot of cooking at that point, and okay. so I, I wasn't a stranger in the kitchen. So um, basically, I started home brewing, and then there was a kitchen job that opened up here. I kind of got my foot in the door in the kitchen, and started learning on uh, the big scale, kind of on my own time. But uh, eventually, a spot opened up, and I kind of made my own position to a certain degree. And uh, about s- almost seven years later, uh, I've been brewmaster for a little over a year now, and yeah. uh, life is great. <laughs> awesome. That's a that's a great, I, that's a great story, and I love that brewing is still one of those things that people can learn on their own and grow into it. That it's not necessarily you have to have a formal education with it. You have to be trained in the art of it. It's you can learn it as you grow. Yeah, I mean, you know, even in this field, there, there's a lot of people. When you when you look at the breweries, you know, maybe about half the people have a formal education. Half the people have worked their way through it and, and just kind of like learned on the job. And, you know, not all positions will be available if, you know, if you don't have a formal training. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, you could still go a really long way, you know, learning on the job. And, and you know, even just having that hands-on experience a lot of times is more valuable to a brewery to a certain extent as opposed to somebody who's just coming out of school and doesn't necessarily have any hands-on experience at all. So, um, you It's know. definitely uh, like a traditional trade in that sort of aspect where, there's a lot of things that, okay, you might know how to calculate the IBUs in a beer, but as far as dialing in how to get that particular number on a system and things like that, that's definitely going to be trial and error. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, where, where the trends are going now, I mean, the science aspect is definitely becoming more and more important, especially, you know, breweries constantly expanding, having to scale those recipes up and still keep that consistency and, you know, even just more and more breweries getting labs. Um, you know, th- those science-oriented jobs are becoming more prevalent in the industry. But, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what equations you're using, there's still so much intuition that goes into this job. You know, no matter how many flow meters or gadgets you have, uh, you know, there, there's still always that gut where it's like, mm, no, you know what, I'm just going to cut this back just a little bit, even though the math says otherwise, and it ends up being perfect. And, you know, at the end of the day, I still feel like, a brewer's gut and intuition is gonna still weigh over science or math. When you um, when you were starting out, you were trying to get your position here, and maybe you were still working here. Did you work under like work at any of the other breweries or with anyone else, even if it's just as a, a peer thing? Or um, yeah, when I first started working here, uh, the brewmaster was Rob Edwards. Um, I had learned under him a little bit, but I was only here for a few months before. Uh, the next guy, uh, Charles Knoll, would come in. Um, he he taught me a lot about like the system and actually like learning how to keep this system alive. Um, you know, it's this in June we're turning 21 years old. Um, you know, the system is original. It, it's a 21 year old German beast, and you know, keeping old machines alive is an art in and of itself. But you know, he taught me all the tricks um, as far as the system goes, and I I, I learned. Plenty as like a homebrew at that point as far as like recipe construction and, and engaging all that up. I was figuring out how to scale up the recipes, but uh, 
the last brewmaster, Arthur Zimmerman, he came in, and me and him were really like a tag team as far as uh, like like the brewery. And uh, you know, he really he came from a formal training, and you know, he really taught me a lot of like the science aspect of it. We really started messing around with brew salts and really scaling up like like the recipes like to to modern levels of what they deserve to be. And um, you know, even Shortly after he left, uh, I was getting a lot of praise for things that we had still accomplished together. And I had even said to him, I was like, I really wish you would have stayed an extra six months because you, you would have seen like that two years worth of work that we did together really start to come back to fruition for you. And uh, I always kept him in the loop to make sure, you know, he was receiving all the praise, even if it was secondhand as well. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it just been really great lately. And, uh, you know, people have grown with us and even just where our customers' palates have expanded to. I mean, we started brewing Belgians a few years ago, and at first the clientele was like, mm, I'm not sure about this. And now like their palates have grown where they're, they're looking forward to the Belgians, they're starting to ask for sours, um, you know, like, and, and that's really a, a beautiful thing as well. That was I I have, yeah, I have noticed uh, like the, the range of beer that you, since you've taken over as the brewmaster, has... Like, you always have your standbys. You've got the Nitro Boom style. You've got the yes, street yes. lights. Yeah, we'll style. always have those Every staples, time. you know, and that's... But, the important. you know, your your uh, your varietals, I don't really want to call them seasonal. Some are seasonals, but, you know, the the, the ones that rotate out, the, yeah. the sort of, like, that sounds really, like... Uh, so, like, when we, we sat down with the Brewers Collective, they were telling us – I never got to have any of it, but they were telling us about uh, a beer that you made that oh, had uh, – Oh, the, the Heather Ale, yes. Yeah. Yes. We well, aside, and then well, aside from that, wood. but they were telling – right, the, the, the one that you imported, like, put some African – aged it with some African wood. Oh, oh yes, yes, the, uh, the roast mocha stout. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I didn't get to have any of that, but, like, when they told me that, I was like, that sounds crazy but good. Yeah, we I – have I have a few slim kegs, one that we're going to pull off for our birthday. For our, for our birthday in June, we're actually going to have, like, 21 beers on tap in the garden for our 21st birthday, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, but that sounds really the good. The beer that you were talking about, we always do, like, a, a roast – uh, coffee stout. Roast is the the cafe down the block. They roast all their own coffee beans in house. Really, really great products. Um, we do a beer with them every year. Charles Knoll, two brewmasters ago, he had done a coffee porter. Arthur and I wanted to do a mocha porter. This year, you know, I kind of wanted to leave the mocha porter where it was, kind of leave that under Arthur, respectively. And so I went with a wood aged mocha stout. Um, and the wood was actually donated from a local artist, John Cino, who works with the wood. The wood is called padok. It's a it's an African yeah. wood. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's I'm, I'm a woodworker, really so it's like amazing wood. And when you wow. smell it, it literally smells like it was already soaked in whiskey. It just has yeah. these huge, huge vanilla notes. Um, you know, it aged on the cocoa nibs and the, the wood for a month. And then we impregnated it with the cold brew coffee. And then carbonated it up and it was really good it flew really really fast it was awesome i've got a chance to have a couple a pint of it it was really good thank you thank you uh, <laughs> that was Mark definitely one of the jealous. i definitely yeah. feel like that was the best beer i've ever brewed like to date and uh i'm really really proud of it you know it was a big beer with all those steps of, of aging you know there's plenty of places where it could go wrong and it didn't and you know when when you're putting that much time and, and money and effort into a beer, when there's all those places where it could go wrong, like you're never sleeping until it's on tap. And then when it hits taps and it and it is that good, it's it's really really satisfying. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm really glad to hear that the word's getting out about that yeah. beer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we will have a slim keg on tap for our birthday. So yeah, def- I'll definitely have to make out. the effort to step in. Yeah. Yeah, and if and it's not, I'm, I'm gonna smuggle some out of my pockets <laughs> for them. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you guys are drinking the Carrick Fergus right now. Uh, when this beer came on tap, we were on the last keg of mocha, and I told everybody like you have to get the mocha Fergus, the black and tan with the mocha. And oh the my god, oh, that must that, have been amazing. And that is by far the best thing ever. That's what I that god. I wish I would have had. That would be fantastic. <laughs> um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. You yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. particularly um that it's an an art in itself and trying to keep an old system alive. What Could you tell us a little bit about the system that you're running here and what makes it so difficult to try to keep something like that alive? Like To me, it's like it's metal. It's a tube. Like How hard is it to keep <laughs> it going? I don't understand that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, really, uh, the actual system, you know, when you walk in, like, like the copper kettles, that thing runs beautifully. Um, it really doesn't end up giving me many problems. You know, every now and then you have to, like, change out a part. Um, it does get a little complicated because it is 20 years old in German, um, trying to source some of those parts. They're like odd sizes that 
aren't necessarily made anymore, and then you really have to go into like getting. So it's kind of like the space made. shuttle. Like, yeah, kind of. But it, what really <laughs> it ends up being German. is, um, you know, like the other parts, like the boiler that that heats up the steam and and all the other parts that you know, um, really make the system work, like the glycol systems and the pump. You know, like with a brewery that's like 21 years old, it, it it's never like. It's always one thing going after okay. another, and then you, you fix one thing, and then it affects another thing, and, and really, like, you almost, like, just have to be in tune with the system where, like, you, you need to almost be able to hear a problem before it's going to happen, where you can kind of be like, hey, my baby's, like, sounding a little rough today. I'm going to go investigate before you're, like, down for a week or so. Um, really, like, the system isn't, like, hard to run. It's more just... Um, you know, it, it's always keeping me on my toes. As so far it's as, like, so it's like having that old car that you've been driving for a long time, and you know that you gotta, you know, you gotta pump the brake three times before you start the gas, and just yeah, get it yeah, to yeah. work just, just right. Like, okay, like a few tricks, like you know, yeah. and even just um, you know, with, with my assistant, like <laughs> passing down like those tricks so that you know, I can write a standard operating procedure, and and you, know, and you know, we have those, but there's still those like little unspoken. Well, actually, over here, you gotta do like this thing instead. This, this needs a little uh, shimmy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sometimes it just needs like a little extra loving. But and, it's still uh, a little more complicated than blowing into the cartridge for your NES. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if only the tricks were that easy. There you go. Um, the other thing that popped in my head while you were talking was the um, – we were talking about the, the mocha beer that you made, and you said it was a really big beer, and, and I'm, you were really proud of it. Is that kind of the style that you want to brew? Like do you want to go if, – if you have the choice to just make whatever it is you want, are you trying to make – big complex beers or is it just happen to be like that's what you were feeling for that particular beer um you know mocha beers i've always loved uh you know always had a sweet spot they were definitely one of like you know once i got my home brewing down they were definitely one of the ones that i was trying to nail um i really enjoyed brewing those those big dark beers you know wood chocolate all those like like fun ingredients um but really uh i, I enjoy brewing a lot of different stuff and really it, it all comes down to the season um, you know, what's going to be appropriate? What do you want to be drinking? And even like when I look at my board and, and, and I'm trying to figure out like what I'm going to brew next, I'm looking at the board and, and my inventory and saying, hey, what does my board need next? You know, we always have our five staples. Um, we always have a rotating wheat beer to kind of hit that crowd. And then everything else, you know, I try to have like a fruit beer, or a specialty IPA, maybe something on the maltier side, you know, just something to kind of hit um, – a little bit, a little bit of everybody, but I mean, you know, the Ron's Burgundy that's on right now, it's a, it's like a hoppy red rye. That's kind of something that I really enjoy as far as like a session, like just right. easy drinking light, like hand beer, drinking it regularly. Uh, you know, the porter that you just had, that's definitely a, a beer that I love to do. But at the same token, uh, the Aegis Beer to Guard that just hit taps, I love beer to guards. I love doing that. Um, I don't think I know, realized you made a beer to guard. Yeah, yeah, it's actually the the fourth year, uh, fourth anniversary this year, and I'm really, really proud of that. That's one of my one. favorites um, too. I look forward to it. I saw the uh, yesterday on Instagram there was a post yeah, yeah, that yeah. it was coming. And I'm like, yeah, that's the one. I'm and, a little ignorant on beer to guard. Could you elaborate? On, could either you or Mark elaborate on the style there? Like, I'm not really familiar with it. it. It's almost kind of like a. Uh, in, the easiest way to describe it is almost like, like a Belgian version of an Oktoberfest. But for the opposite time of year, it's it's traditionally brewed in, in the colder confused. months, fermented <laughs> in like cooler temperatures, and then released in either like spring or summertime. And okay. it literally means beer to guard. Okay. So they'd brew it in the colder months, ferment at cooler temperatures for a more mellow, maltier profile. All right. And then like once the spring broke, or uh, they they would release it as kind of like like a celebration, almost like the Oktoberfest of spring, so to speak. Okay. It's um, a, it's the Easter beer. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it's and, a hey, here comes spring. Okay. And you know, like ranging colors from like super pale gold to uh, amber. I prefer the amber side of things, so right. that, that's what we uh, we end up doing here, because every now and then I get to uh, get a little selfish. But yeah, I mean, even like back to what you were saying, um, a lot of times like I'm brewing a beer on the board to like hit a certain crowd, and even though it might not necessarily be um, my particular thing that I drink all the time, I'm super proud of it, and I'm always brewing something that I do want to like be drinking at the end of the day, and I'm always trying to like push our customers' palates, and that's one of the things that I love about being in a brew pub. I feel like I'll always be a brew pub guy. I personally don't have any interest being in a production brewery, and you know, th there's nothing against that. But I just love having the contact time with our customers to be able to educate them on craft beer, and and you know, the more people know, the more likely they are to to drink craft as opposed to you know. Bud Miller cores and yeah. all well, that's part of the reason too why uh, your streetlight is you know your best seller yes. because you, I'm 
going back like a while ago, uh, over a year ago, when I when I picked up the second running sword from you and I was hanging around for a while and I got to talk to you, which was really great. You were saying that that you know that. I think it's a 20-barrel fermenter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 20-barrel fermenter is just for the street life because yeah. you sell that much of it because when people come in and, like, they don't know any better, like, and they, they want their Bud, their Budweiser, your servers try to steer them towards trying the street light so that, they you know, they have something that's kind of light in body but has, you know, a little bit more flavor than, you know, those Absolutely. M- macro beers. And, and, you know, and once they realize, like, Oh hey, like craft beer isn't all like dark, or you know, it's not all like a Guinness or, or whatever their expectations may be. Once they realize, like, oh hey, like this is craft, like oh that's awesome, I I like craft beer. And you know, sometimes people all they need is that one beer, that one gateway beer that either makes them realize that they like beer or makes them realize that they like beer other than Bud Miller Coors, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so we've we've at that just because you mentioned it there, we we we've asked a couple of our guests in the past. Like about gateway beers. What was your gateway beer that made you say like, man, I want like I, even before you started homebrewing, like what was that thing that you tried that said, man, this is really good. I don't want to drink the the uh, no the more big natty mass. ice for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the crazier ones I think was probably and it was one of like the first I like five or six like craft beer like real craft beers that I that I bought was. Uh, India Brown Ale from Dogfish Head. Okay. That was one of those ones that just changed my mind of like what beer could be, and I was like, wait, you could you could use like chocolate and 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 other stuff in there? Like, whoa, like that's crazy. <laughs> um, and then I think the, one of the things that really like kind of like blew my mind a little bit was when you realize like a, a beer like Arrogant Bastard from Stone or or Dead Guy from Rogue was like their entry level beer, and like you started realizing like wait. This brewery's entry-level beer isn't some, like, light, you know, American lager or something like that. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Oh, there's hope. Like, okay, like, all right, <laughs> let, let's do this. And and th- those <laughs> those hope. are maybe, like, the ones that really <laughs> kind of, like, in, opened guys. me up. And then at that point, um, you know, there, I was living in Queens uh, with a bunch of friends, and uh, there was a great beer distributor. And I would just come home from work and pick up, like, you know, two or three new things every time. And, and you know, and, you know, when you go to, like – Samuel Smith, like, you know, chocolate stouts and, you know, and, and you start, like, realizing, like, all these Belgian flavors and, you know, and you don't even know what and Belgian beers are. Belgians. And you're like, wait, what, what, Brett, no, what, what, what is that? Um, and, you know, again, even just realizing what beer could be without even putting all that stuff in, you know, where just those flavors you could pull from the yeast um, just ends up opening up your mind and really, and, and that was the thing, too. It's like, I was, I n- never just enjoyed this one thing. I always liked to, to yeah. run the gambit. So even when I was like a home brewer, like, like focusing on that, um, I was really trying to make sure that, hey, I could brew a good wheat beer. I could brew a good red. I could brew a good stout. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was well-versed right. in that, you know, to be able to kind of hit all those those things that I want to brew. It's definitely a uh, <coughs> uh, admirable sort of skill to have to be able to do hit all those notes the way that you do here. Uh, Thank you, you know, my myself being a home brewer for like three years now, Kevin, I know you've done some brewing and Justin, I, I managed to loop you into it just this pet, you know, in this I just year brought, so I just finished up my second bow, bottle, my second batch. So. So but yeah, being able to hit those notes as well as you do here, it's definitely an ad- admirable skill. And uh, especially like one of the things that I've I think all three of us have noticed, like. The amount of collaboration brews that you've done in the past year with other local brewers. Yeah, that's really cool. It, <laughs> Thank you. It's, I mean, we've had at least three of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the Heather Ale that you mentioned before with the Brewers Collective, uh, the collaboration that you did with Spider Bite for their the fifth anniversary. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that was fantastic. Was that yeah. Uh, it was a it was an Imperial Long Island Common okay, called right, uh, Lie yeah. to Me, and yeah, that one. Yes. Uh, yeah, even Larry said he's been having huge success. He's still got a little bit left of it if anybody wants them. And oh, we yeah. do have one left for our, for our birthday party as well. But gotcha. I think that one might be coming back uh, next year as far as the demand for it. I saw Larry it. driving around yeah. on uh, Sunrise yesterday in the big spider bite. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then did you guys have the, the White Girl Wasted, the, uh, the Barrage Club? Yes, yes. I saw it. I didn't get to try it. But <sighs> love the name on that one. That was great. <laughs> I got that at lunch with uh, with some coworkers. So it was nice to order that in front of my coworkers. <laughs> I forget. Yeah, I, I was reading about that. I forget uh, what it was on. If it was Greater Patchogue or another website, but I was reading about 
you know, what what went into White Girl Waste. <laughs> and, like, when I read that, I was like, yes, that is an appropriate name for that beer. What was the uh, grape that you used in there? Or no, no, there, there was there, no grape, there, Yeah, there was no grape, so we just used a bunch of white wine-flavored hops. Okay. Um, it was Hull Melon, which has, like, a, a white wine uh, – melon flavor uh it was summer which has a kiwi melon flavor and then the nelson Savin, which you know just has that big white wine flavor and initially we were you know gonna maybe put some great must in there or some chardonnay soaked oak or something but we we tasted it after fermentation and we were just like all these hop flavors (laughs) we're just gonna lose them like we were just like let's just leave it like this is money like there's no point in adding more stuff to it this is money and and we released it as well as it was but the working title was always like a white wine ipa right and so after the brew day we had a couple of beers and one thing led to another and you know if you guys have ever had uh, so was it you that got white girl wasted that day is that what it is <laughs> have you ever had a drink with steve <laughs> <laughs> i've never met no i oh, have not steve, so. steve's great people um <laughs> he, he's he's great people but i i think it's fair to say that we both got white girl wasted uh that day and one thing led to another and that was the name of the beer and that was it <laughs> there we go That's, so uh, that, that leads me to another question. Um, you were saying, so, you know, you taste at the end of fermentation. Uh, what kind of testing do you do in terms of, like, a small batch to test an idea, or do you just sort of run with an idea and kind of figure it out along the way? You know, I, I was a pretty extensive home brewer in the sense that, like, uh, you know, I, w- I was working on perfecting recipes. I was working on, like, um, like learning my ingredients, learning all my malts, where Arthur and I, we did a fair amount of experimentation, but between both of our, like, uh, levels of expertise, so to speak, as far as the recipe creation. Like, we were confident as far as our numbers of scaling up recipes here that for the most part, there was, like, one or two things that, like, if they were really outside of our box, like, you know, I've got a, a 15-gallon homebrew system. We, we kind of tested on there just to, like, make sure we were on the right track before we brewed a full batch of it. But um, for the most part, uh, a lot of the recipes are, are just kind of based on, like, what we knew already or, you know, just kind of what we want to drink. And again, like, kind of what I was saying before, like, a lot of that intuition comes into play. But I mean, even this year, so far, I've, I've only brewed maybe two new beers compared to like last year in the sense that, you know, the customers, they, they enjoy this seasonal and they demand it next year where my schedule is almost like half written. And, and I just take that as a huge compliment. But, uh, you know, we end up- yeah, I mean, you know, you had mentioned before we're drinking or Justin and I at least are drinking that Carrick Fergus. I'm not sure if that's what you have. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. I have that here. But uh, it's definitely one of the beers. Right it's now. definitely <laughs> one of the beers that the three of us look forward to every St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, this yeah. is. I, what amazes me is the how creamy it is without being a, dark, a super dark beer. You know, that's, th- that's really always tasty. like the. I always try to push like you know, it's a cream ale, but everybody, a lot of people don't know what a cream ale is, and because we use the word creamy in association with porters and stouts so much, people just assume it's going to be dark. And even though, like, in the description we'll say, like, you know, golden cream ale, they'll get the glass and be like, oh, it's not dark? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, cream ales are one of, like, uh, my favorite. And, again, this is a recipe that Arthur and I brewed that, you know, this is, like, one beer I could say without a doubt that the next brewmaster in however many years uh, is going to have to brew this, like, regardless of whatever his plans are. Like, if he doesn't brew this, I there sure will be so. an uproar. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. the customers there's going to be pitchforks and torches outside and, if and there's not. I lo- exactly. I, I love the, the whiskey and oak flavor that you get in this beer, though. Like, yeah, it's cream ale, but, you know, those additional flavors just add so much to it that it – is definitely one that I look forward to. Yeah, every it kicks spring. the crap out of the, some of the other cream ales that we've had on yeah, the we, show. Yeah, we, 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 for a while there, we were, I don't know what we were doing, we were having a, a cream ale almost every episode, and yeah, we yeah. noticed them getting hoppier and hoppier, and then recently yeah, listening I, to another podcast, I had found out that the, the essence of a cream ale wasn't to be hoppy or bitter. Yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, okay, so now I need to go and find ones that aren't so I can have know more what this style actually is versus what we've been getting. Uh, yeah, I mean, cream ales are like one of the, the two beer styles, like only beer styles that are native to this country, actually. I mean, I guess you could probably make an argument now with uh, all the IPAs and, and yeah. various, uh, but uh, I mean, it was that in the Kentucky <coughs> Common. But um, yeah, I mean, really, it, it was a session beer, you know, made from some traditional whiskey ingredients. But I mean, you know, everybody kind of has their own tricks up their sleeve. You know, a lot of people like to use corn. Uh, I kind of use a combination of corn, oats, and some honey malt. And I mean, but ours is like far from a traditional cream ale. I mean, they're usually like about three and a half to four and a half percent or like, you know, pretty low ABV. This is a double, it's seven and a half. And then we age it on like the whiskey oak. I mean, this is just kind of like our own little, again, like we're doing this. (laughs) I mean, you know, we wanted to brew like a beer for like St. Patrick's Day themed, but um, 
you know, be, because it is so long in Patrog, it's about a month long here. But, um, you know, we have a, a house red that flies. We have a nitro stout that flies. And it's like at the end of the day, like, you know, what other like, you know, traditional Irish styles are there that would, you know, kind of hit home. And that's why we kind of just decided to make up our own. And, you know, a cream ale is far from Irish, but, you know, it's 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 Irish in spirit in the sense that, you know, well, definitely it's, with, it's, the, it's with the body, with the, with the mouthfeel, it definitely exactly. kind of hits that same note. The, uh, the, the, I mean, the side of my glass. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was just going to comment on that, Justin. The lacing on your glass is epic. We oh, take great pride insane. in our nitro carbs, that's for sure. Yeah, it's um, you know, between the two of the, between all the glasses, you can see it's basically <laughs> coated, and that's fantastic. You know, and and I, I take really great pride in our product, um, in the sense that you know, there's no chemicals, there's no nothing uh, in it. It's it's all the straight stuff. You know, um. All we use is a little, you know, world flock, which is essentially, you know, the, the Irish moss yeah, and, uh, the, and a little uh, bit of yeast nutrient, and, and that's it. I mean, you know, what you're drinking here never leaves refrigerated space. I mean, it's uh, – one of our owners, he has a saying, and I've totally stolen it from him, um, but, you know, half of drinking craft is, is drinking local and drinking fresh. And, I mean, you know, like you were saying with our streetlight, our streetlight is never older than two weeks. Our Beowulf is never older than three weeks because it just simply doesn't exist. It's being drank that fast. As soon as I move a batch of Beowulf downstairs, I'm brewing it the next day. Oh, wow. Um, That's really moving. Wow. Yeah. You know, and I mean. I, how long? It doesn't have to. Condi- I would think it almost needs to condition more than two weeks, but no? Well, no, no. Uh, Beowulf is a three-week beer. Okay. But. Um, That's a good turnaround, again, though. Yeah, That's yeah. Quick. With, with the double batch on the streetlight, it ends up being. Um, uh, a little bit easier to maintain because, you know, we kind of get, like, a little bit ahead of the game. Okay. But, um, yeah. I have a uh, selfish question to ask. My mother's name is Kitty. And uh, before I knew anything about craft beer at all, I came in here and I saw Hurricane Kitty on the board. And I'm like, I'm going to just order that because it has my mother's name in it. What, where did the name for that beer come? Um, that is a tribute beer to one of the owner's mother. Her name oh, was wow. Kitty as well. <laughs> and then she, if I remember the story correctly, she developed the name Hurricane Kitty. <laughs> and so it describes they, my mother yeah. very well too. <laughs> that, so. that actually really does. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the story as far as I know. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that Thank was you. like one of the original beers the, that they started brewing here. So yeah. I hope that story is accurate because that's what's been told to me. <laughs> I, I believe we it. don't know any better. So there you go. <laughs> if anything, it's like I said, it's applicable to my mom. So so you said that you are always looking to meet the needs uh, well meet the requests of like of your customer base and you're looking at your board trying to make a little bit of everything um what's what's something that you would really like to brew that's coming up that maybe you just haven't gotten a chance to yet whether it's be you know financial restrictions or just just don't have the time to do it luckily uh, as far as the beer goes uh i don't really end up having uh any financial restrictions i get to kind of like brew what i want um you know the owners are confident that you know i know yeah. the crowd and and they I, they, they have made my anything portfolio. bad yet so cool yeah 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 <laughs> they're, they're happy but um you know every every few months i kind of get to do what i call like a selfish beer where it's like hey i want to brew this and this is going to maybe be like a little bit more like towards uh the beer geek side of things um but um there there is a beer that we brewed a few years ago that I really want to bring back again in in a slightly bigger way but just haven't had time for it and again like with what the the customers want over it um you, you have to weigh out your options but it was a belgian black rye brewed with caraway seed and I really want to bring that back and age it a in a black rye with that's a, could you expand on that a little bit like that's sounds so, I don't so, think I yeah. did you guys have that one no, no, that, that, was, that, that sounds one, really. Intriguing. I don't remember that, having that one, but when you, that one you know, came out that four years that right ago. there just made the Jewish half of Kevin start tingling. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like, <laughs> it was about like seven and a half percent. It was like a black rye. We used uh, some crystal rye, a lot of flaked rye. I really love flaked rye just for the mouthfeel. Um, we used the French saison yeast, fermented it a little bit hotter to get that really that black peppercorn flavor, uh, and we used the caraway seed to you know just kind of hit that like rye bread note. I think we used some victory malt in there too to kind of hit some bready notes. Um, it was called Veronis. Uh, I know like a lot of the beer geeks really, really love that beer. Um, it's one of those ones that I've always wanted to brew, but I just knew in the grand scheme of things, we were kind of brewing a lot of other darker beers, um, throughout the winter and everything. And at the end of the day, like you don't want to have like too many black beers on the board because to the yeah, average beer consumer, it's quote unquote like, scary. It's and, black and, beer. And, yeah, I don't want to like, feel like I have to chew it. Exactly. You know, and, and even though it's like super dry and whatnot, like at the end of the day, like you know, you want to keep a balanced board. You don't want to have too many IPAs, too many black beers, too much, too much uh, this or that. And and again, like you know, if you're always having those transition beers, those gateway beers, where people are realizing that they, oh, I actually like beer. 
um, maybe eventually like, they will have a beer that's black in color. And then, like, you know, a black IPA, again, is the perfect example. Like, last year we uh, we had a server that was fairly new to the game uh, about a month and a half before our black rye IPA uh, came out, which was a collab with home brewer John DeSpirito, actually. Um, it was his recipe. Um about a month and a half before that beer came out, she didn't drink beer, and she started working here. And a few weeks into it, she Poor she realized soul. like, oh oh, I like beer. And I used her as like like the the test subject, and I was like, close your eyes, drink this beer. And it was a black rye IPA, and she was like, oh my god, this is hoppy, like this is a really good IPA. And she opened up her eyes, and it was like a cartoon. It was she was <laughs> like, it's black, what? And that's the thing. Like sometimes you just need to take that like extra couple of seconds with the customer to flip that palate. And, you know, our servers, like, they've got the product to do it. And then, like, they they enjoy doing it as much as I enjoy doing it. And that's what I love um, seeing happen. And, and you know, I think maybe next year that'll happen, like, like that the Belgian black rye will happen. But I really want to age that in red wine barrels. Unfortunately, we don't have the space to barrel age here. So I'm trying to maybe uh, figure out how to work that out. Yeah, maybe work it up with, with another brewery, whatever, and, and revise the recipe and maybe do some sort of a collab or something. But that's definitely something that I really wanted to do. But, you know, at the other end of it, too, like, uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, you want to do, but you kind of figure out ways to do it. Uh, you know, I, I love barrel-aged beers. I love wood beers. One of my goals was to do more wood-aged beers, even though we couldn't do barrel-aged stuff, like the Carrick-Fergus um, the stout that you had mentioned earlier, uh, the birthday beer last year, which we're doing again, was a double red aged on cognac soaked cherry wood. Um, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, we uh, I'm able to like allot some fermenter space and kind of take some time, and we, we get this really great like wood product in where we get to like age like uh, the, the beers. Yeah, on the it's wood. like the honeycomb paddles. Yes, that yes, you use, yes, right? yeah, that's what we end up doing. And what what are those honeycomb paddles? Could you? So basically, it's like 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 planks of wood that are that are drilled out almost like in a honeycomb shape to like maximize surface area okay, to like sense, maximize yeah. like flavor extraction. So like you know we'll get those in, we'll soak them in the liquor for for a few days, and then throw them in the fermenter and let you them just sit kinda, in there for a month. You just like throw the like I'm picturing like just like sheets like shingle sized pieces of wood that you're just chucking in there, or do you <laughs> hang them? I I honestly don't know. It's like, never something we, we I've end seen. up like like uh, we end up like hanging them. Um, with like weights at the ends in this way, it's like kind of like spread out through okay. through the whole fermenter so that it, it does like maximize like the, the the full extraction of it all. Okay. Um. But uh. But yeah, you know, we're not able to do barrel aged beers, but you know, we, we try to do like the wood aged beers as much as we can. We try to do specialty nitro beers as much as we can. And and I mean, even last year, um, we did uh, it was actually a collaboration with a local Long Island band, the the Sleeping. Um, we did a hop oil only IPA. Um, really experimental thing. You know, hop oils just kind of started becoming available to like breweries on our size, and we brewed it with only hop oils, and then we released it in two different versions: a single dry hop and a double dry hop version. Okay. And uh, the customers really enjoyed that experiment, like being able to taste was the that, difference. Like, was that also bittered with the hop extract, or did you? It uh, was like completely 100% on like the hot side brewed only with hop oils gotcha and then like and then it like the only like physical hops that were ever put into the beer were for the dry hopping gotcha and uh it was called like the big hop down part one and then part two dry hop once dry hop twice and uh the customers really loved being a part of that like experiment and just seeing that we were really pushing that envelope and we're actually going to start a uh a new ipa series like maybe one every three months we're going to like brew one called um alternative hops that uh, we're brewing with all hop oils on the hot side, and then we're using uh, this new product called like Cryo Hops, which it's actually cryogenic. Yeah, just, I just heard about that the other day. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spider Bite and I, I actually to like that split podcast a package. As well. And uh, yeah, we're not. we're really looking forward to uh, to messing around with those. But yeah, I've got some Simcoe and some Citra uh, Cryo Hops. And, you just um, lost Kevin. And yeah, it, it's not that I don't love you, but it's just it's <laughs> my heart a little bit. Well, you know, and, and again, that's the thing. Like, don't worry, we'll have beers for the non hoppy heads. You know, and, exactly. And that, like, I'm, the, I'm not really worried. As long as you have the nitro, I'm gonna be all right. The number one compliment that we get on our board is that it's so well balanced. Like, oh, you have something for everybody. And even like a few years ago, um, you know, a new beer would come out and like that would sell like crazy for like the first few weeks and then it would slow down. And now when a beer comes out, maybe it sells a little hot for like the first four or five days and then after that it kind of works its way in rotation. And it's nice because what we're seeing is that people are drinking around the board. They're saying, oh, hey, I want to try that and I want to try that and I want to try that. And that's what we want. You know, we want people to come in and know that, hey, no matter what you like, you're going to have two or three beers to drink around on the board. 
Like you're not Definitely, like even yeah. if, even if you only like a, a certain couple of things, you're gonna have a few things to drink around on that board, and you're not gonna be limited to like just one beer before you feel like you have to like go to the next place in town or something, you know? And and we take great pride in that. You definitely do a good job with that. Uh, you know, I think all three of us, you know, we're fans of the Nitro Boom Stat, but uh, indeed, your brunch porter, that oh, uh, oh, really the breakfast, good one. The, the breakfast killer. brown, yeah, killer. the breakfast brown. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. I did, I did, I did yoga while I was drinking that. It was killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a really good one. I I enjoyed the uh, the Mabeliness in that beer. We have a slim of that for for the birthday. We've I've essentially been like you've, like you've like, already sold me on the birthday. <laughs> we're we're yeah, going we, to the birthday. I got it. We'll be here. We, yeah, we've been uh, I've been like hoarding like slim kegs like all all year of like all the the really hot beers and uh, it, it's gonna be I think not all the details are set but I think we're gonna kind of set up some sort of like a beer fest type thing out in the garden where we're gonna have a barbecue and just like a bunch of jockey boxes where everybody can kind of go around for like a set price and that'd be fun. You know, yeah. Sample everything. You know, get some get some good noms and. Uh, so uh, speaking of the garden. I know that you guys grow hops out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what varieties do you have, and do you use those in the beer? Um, we don't use them anymore. Uh, it, it's, a lot of a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, not not the effort. Uh, it's just we can't use them anymore. <laughs> With the apartments and uh, everything else, and and the amount of dogs that are around, we can't use them anymore. So Safe unfortunately, like they really are just kind of uh, like like for show. But there are they are uh, Centennial, uh, Cascade, and I think some Sterling. But those hops have been growing. I'm pretty. I, I'm. I know they're pretty original. So I mean, I'm, I'm. If they didn't plant them the first year, they probably planted them like the second, the third. I didn't year realize that they they, here, uh, so. that 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 whole garden area had been around that long. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. They they had re they had done the bricks in there. I think it was maybe about five years ago or so. Before that, it was just grass back there. But the the, the bushes and and the hop vines, uh, you know, they've been up there. And you know, we string them up every year. And and like you know, we'll always have like a hop picking party because it's it's an excuse to have a barbecue. You know, uh, uh, I mean. I'm in with that. I can't argue. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, but um, but no, unfortunately, we don't end up using them in the beer. But we, I have been using um, some some Long Island hops lately, and my actually my goal this year is actually to transition um out of some of my contracted hops into some Long Island hops, where hopefully starting for like 2018, um, our Streetlight, our Red, and our Nitro Stout will be brewed exclusively with. Long Island hops and that's, that's awesome. our Beowulf, our 21 club and whatever our rotating wheat beer is, will include, uh, some Long Island hops, um, in them as well. So that at the end of the day, we can say that our staple beers all have Long Island hops in them. And, and that's our goal to kind of get into like 2018. Um, you know, the hop purveyors they're you know, a lot of them are buying pelletizers now, so they're able to meet those needs like all year round. And with our cold storage, um, you can you keep know, them around, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, one hand could wash the other where I could take those hops off their hands real quick. So, like, you know, the goal is to, you know, ho- hopefully, uh, you know, come, like, 2018, um, try to transition, like, our staple beers to, like, not, if, if it's not the, the very beginning of 2018, by hopefully, like, you know, after, like, the first quarter or so in 2018, um, you know, that that's a goal. It's definitely, uh, you, know, you know, it's definitely admirable. Uh, I know, like, the hop industry is trying to get, like, its foothold back. And the Long Island hops are great. I mean, you know, even in the lie to me, like, you know, we used some from Conazella. And I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I backed the, the GoFundMe campaign or whatever it was that Condesella had a few years ago to buy the, the hop harvester from Germany. And uh, unfortunately, I, I ended up uh, drowning the Cascade hop plant that uh, ah. I got from there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to see. I got some new uh, some uh, Crystal and Mount Hood hop rhizomes that I planted next to my garage. I still haven't seen them pop back up this year, so I'm hoping that, that they come still back. Still early. But, yeah. yeah. I haven't even seen anything back here in the garden yet. But We'll, we'll see how that goes. Resilient. But, yeah, I know, uh, you know, back in like the 1800s or something like that, New York was like the hop-growing region of the United States. So it's nice to see that industry coming back over here uh, or, or coming you know, growing back up from the roots to yes, try yes. and compete with, uh, you know, Washington and whatnot over there on the Pacific Coast, which is where most of them come from predominantly. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is that it grows pretty much the same environment as wine, right? And do we have a pretty darn good wine region here. So yeah, it makes yeah, sense exactly. Yeah. You know, like like I said, like a lot – I think there, there's a few hop farmers now on the island that have pelletizers, so now they can – now it's not just about selling the, the, I, yeah, the, the I fresh hops. I now wasn't they can aware of that. It yeah. So that they they can grow 
and they had enough yeah, to they, sustain a, a year's amount of right. Pop. There's so, that stability where yeah. they you know they can they can pelletize it, and then you know those pellets will last longer than the whole whole leaf hops or the you know the hop cones even if they're dried. Yeah, and, and from what my understanding was, that was uh you know kind of you know they they kind of hit that point where it's like well we can only grow enough like wet hop beers but brews can only brew, brew so many wet hop beers you know yeah. so yep. no it, it's great to see that they're they're growing and um you know i hope to be able to support that as much as possible for sure when we were uh with the brewers collective they had had they had um some new zealand hop variety of what was that Rakao. Rakao, yeah. Rakao. have you messed around with anything from new zealand yes last year's don dapper we used uh wakatu which is a new zealand hop um we do use a lot of uh australian stuff uh ella which is uh, we use in a single hop IPA that we call Freya, uh, which is one of our like more popular seasonal IPAs. Um, we have an Australian hop wit coming out next week called Astral Wit, which uses Topaz, uh, which is another Australian hop. I, I don't um, think I've had Topaz. It's 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 really nice. Um, it's it's fruity and like noble at like the, like a, like slightly noble. That sounds at the same like a time. good combination. Yeah. Um, it's not like, like overly overly fruity. And when you taste the wit, uh, like next week, I can actually pull a sample uh, from the fermenter uh, a little bit later. But um, I, I don't want to twist your arm here. Paul. Oh no. no, no, no yeah. <laughs> but it, it's a really good hop. I really like pairing it with Galena on the homebrew level. It's been really hard for me to get Galena at Brickhouse. But <laughs> that, that's kind of surprising to me, honestly. Uh, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, it's it's easier for homebrewers to get some stuff than it is for me sometimes because is that you know, a quantity so, issue? Yeah, because I mean at the end of the day, you know whoever's got the mo- most buying power is the one getting the product. And right. Okay, I mean that you know that, that that's just the way business goes. But sometimes our small scale works to our advantage in the sense that like a whole crop of an experimental hop might be enough for like one batch at a brewery. So right. they're gonna sell that out to multiple breweries. Uh, Arthur, you know. With the Ella hop that I was just mentioning, he got that on contract for us two years ago, I think it was. Um, if you didn't have it on contract that first year, it was sold out for six years. Oh, wow. So, and, and as far as I know, we're the only ones using it on the island. And anytime anybody drinks the Freya or the Don Dapper, they're just like, what? And I just love having the stronghold on that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's definitely but, a good uh, one to lord over people. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. But, um, but no, like... I feel like there was definitely one other, one or two other New Zealand ones. It's not ringing a bell um, in my head at the moment, but I mean those hops are by far. Yeah, I definitely something uh, else for sure. Yeah, I, the three of us in general aren't big fans of IPAs, but if it's an IPA using New Zealand hops, there's a good chance that I'm gonna be like, yes, I like this. Yeah, I yeah, want yeah. more. It's definitely, that was definitely uh, cool. Yeah, it's stuff that was really tasty. Yeah, the uh, the lack of piney uh, dankness is in those new New Zealand varieties is definitely what I think the three of us enjoy. Is yeah. that uh, it's not super piney. The pininess is definitely something I, I kind of try to stay away from. It's uh, it's an easy way for me to, to kind of not want to drink much more than a couple <laughs> sips of a beer. See, like I, I enjoy like a good like you know piney resiny IPA. Uh, I feel like formerly they were known as like uh, Northeastern IPAs, but the the New England IPA scandal might be uh, stealing that one. But um, right. but you know I, I'm I'm not opposed to a good like piney resiny like IPA. I've kind of been you used the word dank um before and like sometimes I find like like the dankness of hops to be good, but other times like especially in a lot of like the the more like modern interpretations of IPAs like I feel like you're getting this like dank like funky like cheesy thing almost going on a lot of times and a lot of times i almost get like a like an like a huge onion and garlic character like at the end yeah of the i end. mean it's uh it's a fine line there like so when i say dank i mean more specifically i mean like fresh cut grass okay like okay. If, if that character is present like i'm definitely not like gonna a fuggles, enjoy like will i'm at like a yeah. herb okay okay yeah. okay yeah, yeah i think if it's has like a different definition if, of like if drinking is, if, right? if drinking the beer make reminds me of just having mowed the lawn yeah that's not what yeah. i enjoy <laughs> agreed but uh you know they and, and certainly there are exceptions to that rule in general and i don't you know, we we've talked about this amongst ourselves for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the the uh, increased alcohol, but I generally tend to enjoy double IPAs more than I do regular IPAs, and it's just one of those things that you know we're we're always trying them because 
you know, every once in a while. You never yeah, know what you're going to find that you like. Yeah, too, yeah. So. You know, we, we recently had the lie detector from Lithology, and all okay. three of us really enjoyed that one. It was uh, – I, I don't remember that what, one yet, but those, Yeah, those I mean, I, I was amazed at how much – all three of us enjoyed that IPA. It was also interesting that it was an IPA, and I believe that the uh, IBU rating on it was 20, 28. They take it out to the hundreds. Well, I don't remember what the well, what the decimal point was. Yeah, I mean, IBUs are essentially like useless now because, you know, before everybody was looking at IBUs as, as a scale, but really where, like, the IPA trends are going now, all like, almost all the hops are being used post like at flame out or negative five or where, like, technically you're not getting any IBUs out of it. Like, you're right. just pulling, like a little bit of flavor and, and aroma and, you know, just all those, like, those fruity characters. So that's, like, one of those things, like, and, and even, like, mathematically you could hit whatever you want, but, like, actually hitting, an like, 100 IBUs is, like, um, like scientifically being analyzed, actually hitting 100 IBUs is, like, almost impossible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, IBUs was a trend two years ago. Now nobody's looking at them. I, I forget who it is, but there's, like, some some brewery that you know is everybody's on their like ipa game right now and they have like a whole like zero ibu series because like the like a lot of times people like mash hop and then which you know again you're not really getting any bitterness from you're just getting flavor. you're not boiling anything um, but i mean it, it's such a great process it's, um it's one of those but, things where uh we have to put hops in there in order to call it beer legally so let's put them in the mash yeah and and then you know uh it, it's all like flame out or like dry hop where again like technically mathematically you're not getting like ibu bitterness yeah but. and that's one of the like one of the most interesting sort of trends in like the last year and a half that yeah. i've seen is you know, people, tr you know, learning about the oil composition in the different hop varieties and trying to pick out those varieties based upon the oil composition that they have yes. to try and get those flavors. Uh, and again, with the later additions and whatnot, trying to add them in later so that they're not, uh, they don't really contact the heat so much that will drive off those delicate oils and those flavors so that you preserve them and get them into the, the finished beer that, you know, people are drinking. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing too. Like everybody's like, you know, trying these new methods and like, you know, waiting even longer to knock out to like, you know, just pull like even more like, like some of those fresh flavors. But at a certain point, like you're adding so much vegetation to it. Like, you know, what kind of negative flavors are, are, are you pulling off from there? Um, you know, and, and again, it all like comes down to your system and like you know what you could handle. But um, I mean, like the IPA game now, like as far as like how how vast it is. I mean, I feel like even like the West Coast IPA is almost like disappeared. Like it like you don't it, yeah, hear anything. It's definitely like, not as if, if it's not a milkshake. It's almost like wait, like what's going on? <laughs> um, and you know. I kind of like don't prescribe to that person. I'm not like I'm not a big like milkshake IPA fan. Um, again, with kind of like you know giving your customers what you want. I the last couple of IPAs I kind of dabbled in that hot profile. Um, I wasn't trying to make it super hazy or, or doing things to purposely make it hazy. You're um, not adding uh, flour yeah, to your mash. Yeah, like I I have nothing against like a hazy beer. You know, a good half. A, a, you know, you have an IPA that's like loaded with enough hops to give you that hop haze. Like let's go. Um, a beer doesn't have to be filtered, but it it can't be a 10 day beer. It can't, you know, it, it can't be a not finished beer that you just crashed early and, then, and now you're giving me a can of autolysis. Uh, <laughs> you know, but um, I kind of dabbled in that hot profile and a lot of my customers told me that they liked those beers, those IPAs better in comparison to the ones I was brewing prior. But then when I looked at my sales numbers compared to the IPAs that I was brewing prior, those are being drank faster and my Beowulf was being drank slower, which Beowulf is like my staple IPA. Whereas, like, when those IPAs were on the board, those IPAs were being drank a little bit slower, and my Beowulf was being drank faster. So a lot of times, you know, people might buy into this trend and, gotcha. and, and might actually think, like, they might actually genuinely think, like, hey, I like this beer better. But when your sales numbers are telling you something different, you know, like, sometimes people actually don't know what they want. And, and you know, as, as a, a brewer or a chef or, you know, and, and a lot of times those things go hand in hand, sometimes you need to, like, show people what they actually want. I've, you know, I've had conversations sometimes with uh, some regulars that are like, hey, like, how come you don't brew that beer anymore? 
I really want to like see it on the board, and and I know that customer is drinking habits. I'm like, yeah, but like you wouldn't. How even many drink are you gonna drink? No, no, but like you wouldn't even drink that beer. He's like, no, I know, but like it should be on the board. And it's like, <laughs> but but like you're telling me to drink a beer that like you're not even, like to make a beer that you're not even gonna drink, you know? Like, like how to. Like, 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 so, so how the economics of that so work out? <laughs> I just want to have it near me so I can yeah, feel good some, about me. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and so you know, I'm not sitting here saying like you know people don't know what they want. They they do know what they want, but sometimes you have to like guide them to make them realize you know what they actually want. Um, you know, another great example of that is you know we did a beer called Nigel Stoneberry last year that is going to be out in like two weeks or so. It was a blackberry saison. Oh. Really delicate. Right. Um, it hit a lot of like white Zinfandel and rosé notes actually. And uh, we had a lot of people, particularly women, that had never drank beer before ever. I was going to say, I had think their my first, wife second, really enjoyed third, that one. Yeah, yeah, had their you first, had, second, had third pints of beer Rose. ever yeah. on that beer. And, like, we, we recently started, like, a, a wine like a wine down Sunday promotion with, like, half-price wine or whatever. And when that beer comes out, it's going to be a half-price pint as well if you're trying to, again, gateway beers in, yeah. for that crowd. Now, again, I might not have a beer for, for that wine drinker all year round, but – I'm gonna have one for you now, you know. Yeah. And, and if they know again, that, that that's on the sp- in, in on the spring, I'm gonna come by. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, too, they're gonna come back in, or they're gonna go to their other beer bars, and they're gonna at least look at the beer menu, which they weren't doing before. Yeah. Which at the end of the day, that's all you can hope for, you know. As like, if you're able to convince that person, like, hey, I do like beer. That's it. I mean, for my wife, she never really drank beer, and then um, we visit Philadelphia fairly often. We went, finally went to Monk's Cafe. And I, actually, it was the first craft beer that I ever had was Monk's Flemish Sour Ale. I didn't okay. know what I was doing. Someone ordered it for me. I think I had 12 of them. <laughs> and uh, but this, but so I, I get to go to you know this this mecca, and you know my wife who doesn't drink beer finds Belgian beer. So she orders something from Jolly Pumpkin, thinking that it's a pumpkin beer and it's a big uh, sour, and she likes white wine. So now she's totally into sour beers, and she's still a little fussy. But I, when I tell her about the the saison uh, you just mentioned, I'm pretty sure she's gonna freak out. Yeah, and you know it. We get a little bit of like tartness from the fruit, you know, all that saison, you know, get that ginger, peppercorn. Yeah, uh, I definitely like the character from the the Belgian yeast. So that'll wrap up part one of our interview with Paul Komsek from the Brickhouse. Tune in next week to listen to part two. And cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed Beertastic Voyage, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to review and rate us. The guys can be found online at www.beertasticvoyage.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash beertasticvoyage, and Twitter and Instagram at beertasticshow, or send them a good old-fashioned email at beertasticvoyage at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and cheers for local beers. <laughs>